Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. And from the Gospel of John. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, in that I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is the word of the Lord. may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we come to your presence today, a presence that has been with us always, I pray that we would enter the dance, that we would see the relationship that you share and that you create from, and we would realize that we belong to it. It is our heritage. It is our origin. It is the beginning and the end of our existence, a relationship. And I pray that in understanding who we are, we may move in this world as a people. As a people who are inviting others, as a people who are sacrificing ourselves like Christ has to to the sake and for the sake of others. Teach us deep in our bones that we belong, that we belong to you, that we belong to others, and that we are all one. God, I pray that you would use the words of a broken man like me, and through your spirit bring glory. May you build us up in love together. It's in your name we pray, amen. A friend sent me an article of this kind of famous um, activist, and she was kind of reflecting on all the activism of her life and why she does it. And they asked her that. Why, why have you been kind of this involved in activism for your life? And she, quote, said this, I would like to lead a life of legacy, not just be a blob of protoplasm. I kind of like that idea, or just that, like, I want to live this legacy. I want to live a life with meaning and not just be kind of like a blob of, like, DNA and stuff. For as long as human beings has, have existed, we have longed for and to know that life has a worth and a meaning to it. 
one of the first great human works of human literature, about 4,000 year old, so a little bit older than some of us in this room, the Epic of Gilgamesh, is about a hero's quest to figure out how he should live in a meaningful way, even facing the reality that one day he will die. There's this quote in Gilgamesh that um, says this, Gilgamesh, where are you hurrying to? You will never find that life for which you are looking. When the gods created man, they allotted him to death, but life they retained for their own keeping. As for you, Gilgamesh, fill your belly with good things, day and night, night and day, dance and be merry, feast and rejoice, let your clothes be fresh, bathe yourself in water, cherish the little child that holds your hand, and make your wife happy in your embrace, for this too is the lot of man." 4,000 years ago, this quest, this search for meaning. In the centuries since this tale and this quest has been written, and many like it, since the beginning we've seen this urgency for a quest in meaning, it has not faded. Each one of us sits here today with it in our guts, in our bone, trying to understand what is life and what is its purpose, its meaning, where is it going? Are we just a blob, a protoplasm? The rise of philosophy, religion, natural science, literature, and art can at least partially be explained by a response to two questions. What is the meaning of existence, and how can I lead a meaningful life? And so, with those simple questions that have been um, talked about since the beginning of time, I'm going to answer them all completely today. So you're welcome, um, and I feel good about my position in that. No, we all deeply struggle. I come off even just a week of like just spinning, trying to figure out this in my own life. Sometimes we feel great joy when we're seeking meaning, and sometimes it just overwhelms us. So what makes life worth living? Well, as we turn to the scriptures today, it says, therefore, I beg you, lead a life worthy of the calling for which you have been called. That each of us is called to lead a life worthy of the calling. That there is a way and a calling to which we have been shaped and formed individually and communally, and we are to walk in this way. Scripture recognizes our need and our longing and our purpose and says, walk the journey, walk the path. But one of the things that we have to battle as we're kind of seeking out this meaning is that we're told a lot of different things about where that is found, how we discover it. And we spend many years of our life chasing things only to grab it and go, nope, that wasn't it, it vanished. I was reading two articles that are pretty interesting, um, one from the Atlantic and one from the New York Times this week, kind of talking about a modern-day search of meaning, and I don't think it's that much that modern, but one that we see in a lot of cultures throughout the world, and talking about kind of the difference between two things, ambition, that there is ambition in our life, that there is like a success, there is a striving to get the next degree so we can get the next job so we can get the next house and kind of build, and there's this human ambition that we have and how that kind of comes to this countercultural idea of relationship. And what does it look like to find, where do we find meaning in that? The first one is, the first article from the Atlantic is called The High Price of Materialism. And it says this, the high price of materialism has shown that the pursuit of materialistic value like money, possession, social status, the fruits of a career, success of a career successes, 
leads to a lower well-being and more distress in an individual. It is also damaging to relationships. That when people believe that materialistic values are important, they have poor interpersonal relationships and contribute less to community. That when people believe that materialistic value is important, they have a poor interpersonal relationship and contribute less to community. Studies are beginning to show more and more that when this becomes our meaning, this ambition, and not just like more money, more things, but this, this I'm going to like live a life that is full and ambitious, and I'm going to try to gather everything I can, that, that when we pursue that, that it has a way of taking community, interpersonal relationships, out of our realm, out of our meaning. And we're finding more and more a loss of people saying, I can't find meaning in life as we see a growth of materialism and a growth of individual ambition. This is something I think all of us like, yeah, 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 I get that, I hear that, I've heard that message a thousand times, thanks for making me feel guilty, Pastor. Thank you so much. It's not the purpose of it. It, it, it's just to realize that I think there's there's a lie that we've been given and that we are sold, that if we just pursue, then we'll feel the fulfillment but then we miss this interpersonal relationship and this contributing to community. David Brooks in the New York Times talks about ambition another way. He says, ambition doesn't define an end in which you should devote your life. So ambition is a thing, but it doesn't give you an end to which you should devote. It nourishes the illusion that career and economic success can lead to fulfillment, which is the central illusion to our time. He goes on to talk about some new studies that have come out of China recently as, as the culture has been able to um, embrace, has embraced capitalism at a different level and is finding significant success financially as a place. But one thing that's coming is this kind of crisis of, like, uh, of moral and of like depth in their realm is what he writes. He says, China is desperately searching for a spiritual and humanist nest to hold its capitalist ambition. Capitalist ambition is an energizing gale force. If there is no equal, fervent countercultural counterculture to direct it, the wind uproots the tender foliage and makes life sweet. We, capitalism in itself, success in itself, finances in itself, material in itself is not evil. It has a neutrality, it can have a neutrality to it. But when it becomes our end, when it becomes our ambition, when it becomes our source of meaning, it begins to have a way to kind of push out all the other things in life. Belonging, community, relationship, loving identity. These things, the tender foliage that makes life sweet. So with that in our mind, kind of saying, okay, there's a different way to pursue meaning in our life. Where does this question, the simple question of meaning come from? Where do we get this urge to make a difference with our life? Something more than just survival. Because you would think we would just be like survival people. That's what we've evolved to is like, how can I just survive? But humans again and again show, no, there's something deeper in me, deeper than just survival and passing on my DNA to others. There's something more than material ambition. There is a deep urge in my own being that longs for meaning. Where does that come from? 
Christian teaching and community for years has said that this urge and this longing for meaning to live a life that is more than just a blob is because our life belongs to the very life of God. Our life belongs to the very life of God. That you are created and sustained. Or as our passage today says, you are an offspring of God. The Ephesian passage goes on to talk about this kind of oneness, this life that we share with God. And it says there is one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Or as the prophet Malachi says, we have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? This idea that this is where we come from, this is the beginning of our being, is this God who is in all and through all, and we are of that God, of that place, that this is why we are just driven and feel this ache and this longing for meaning in life, because that God that has created all, is in all, is a God that is restoring all. There is a restoration to the life of God. And so when we are created, when we come from that family of God, from when we are children of that God, when we are created in that image, with that comes a longing for restoration. This is like when we see things that are broken in the world or broken in our, our own life, it hurts. It's not just survival instinct. It hurts because we come and we are created from a place that is bringing restoration We are created from a place of love. So when we see something that is not built in love, as our passage says, it breaks us. It hurts us. It doesn't feel right. And all of this longing for restoration and for love and for belonging creates a need for meaning, for our life to be something more than just our daily activity. This is the story of the life that you are in. This is the great river from which your small trickle of a life has led you to and to join with. God's loving restoration story is the tree in which you are connected. A small branch, but you belong to it. You belong to this story. You belong to this family. And so because of that, you feel a longing and an urge for meaning and restoration. It's part of what you were created in. Therefore, I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling for which you have been called. It's a big ask that Paul says. Therefore, because God has loved you, the whole beginning of Ephesians is all about this gospel message about God's love for you and Christ giving his life for you and just understand that you are a beloved child of God. Because of all of that, therefore, I beg you, therefore, Because of all of that good news, here's a way in which to walk and to live your life. So the passage is talking about a way in which we practically step forward in participating in this life that is infused with meaning. And here's the first step. It says the first step into this life with meaning and this life with purpose and this life of restoration is to realize that you are not alone in it. But we are called to cultivate community, meaningful relationships, 
a divine sense of family. As Jesus prays, may they be one, Father, as we are one. I and them and you and me. To step into the meaning is to realize this oneness that we share with Christ and Christ with the Father. We step into the dance. A good friend was describing um, the, the Trinity kind of like as a, a square dance. And if you've ever seen professional square dancers, they start going very, very fast that you can't actually see the difference from one to the other. And he said, this was the best description of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit I've ever imagined, is that they're just dancing into each other. And, and then it goes on to say, and the way in which to participate in this is, is you are called to join the dance, to get lost into the sense of belonging, of oneness, and then just in, keep inviting others and others and others and realize this is the place we were created for. To step into meaning means to join and to be knit together, growing up and being built in love. We cannot seek meaning as pure individuals. I know that's hard. It's so much easier to control it if it's just our own life. But it's a communal act. Finding meaning in this world is a team sport. We need each other. And in her book, The Power of Meaning, which is, um, she has an amazing, um, Emily Smith has an amazing TED Talk on it as well. After doing lots and lots of research, she realized that belonging is one of the central pillars to finding meaning. She writes, the search for meaning is not an individual philosophical quest. The quote goes on up, up here and on the front of your worship, worship guide. As its, own, as its often depicted. And meaning is not something that we create within ourselves or for ourselves. Rather, meaning largely lies in others. Only through focusing on others do we build a pillar of belonging for both ourselves and for them. If we want to find meaning in our own life, we have to begin by reaching out. What's hard about this is the times in my life that I felt the least meaning is the time that I also want to reach out the least. There's something that just says, no, go internal, be on your own, and set up your walls. But research, the scripture, so many things have shown us that to find and to participate in this meaning which we were created, it means finding ways in which to reach out, to engage and the oneness we share with others and with God. That meaning is beyond our personal ambition and our economic achievements. Its core is found in belonging. First and foremost, the belonging that we belong to God. That they may be in you. That we may share the relationship with God that Jesus had. This is what he has offered us, to be part and fully enveloped into this divine love, into this dance. So one that we belong to God, and Christ has ushered us to that table and to that life. But secondly, that we, we, can, we create relationships and experiences of belonging with each other. We all, deep in our DNA, long to belong to others. It's why we get so excited when we see new life in this world. You just see their face and their potential and you're a little scared because you're like, this world is like rough, child. 
but you belong. It's why we feel at such a depth when someone's hurting. Why it hits us to our core. Because we know that relationship and protection and belonging matters. It's why when we lose someone close to us, it hurts so bad. Because belonging and meaning matter. If it was pure survival, those things wouldn't matter to us. But because we are created from a deeper core, from a life with God, those things matter. My friends, you cannot, we cannot, the passage says, be the body of Christ by ourselves. Following Jesus is a communal journey and always will be. And the invitational belonging to each other and to all people is so that it can also be a witness to this world because our world is seeking, maybe now more than ever, a place of finding a belonging to be known and to be loved. Probably no, more now in my life than I've ever been asked in my pastoral life is why church? Why show up on a Sunday morning and kind of go through it all? And there, there's times I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know if I got the answer to that one. Um, the speaker's awkward. At least the coffee's good here, but usually it's not good. Um, um, you have to like interact with people that you're like, man, I don't know if I want to interact with the people. Why church? Especially nowadays. You know what? We can listen to a podcast of someone who's going to talk a lot better than I am. We can listen to music that's going to be a lot better than what we hear here. We can kind of even maybe find other people that just like look and sound and just agree with us all the time. And boy, does that feel good. Why church? Scripture, and I think some of my own experience, says this. To know God is to experience relationship. To live in life with others. To show up to the relationship in life with each other face to face. To laugh and to cry together. It is in this community that, it's in the sake, in the realm of community that we find the reality of God. The beautiful creation of God, the life, the energy of God in this world, we have to understand is practiced through when we practice a oneness with others. When we co-create a place and a sanctuary of belonging. But it's not just that we would receive it. We, we also find meaning when we create it for the sake of others. That the invitation is high. That the door is open. That we look into our world. We hear the stories in our world. And we realize that we belong to them and them to us. And we break down those barriers. I don't know about you, but um, for me, my heart was wrecked this week as I kind of heard stories and images of com- coming out of civil war. In Yemen, 22 million people on the brink of starvation. 22 million people. Um, one of the images that came up was this sweet girl. Oh, let's see if we have it. Maybe not. Um, one of the images, oh, there she is, waiting for help in a hospital. And I looked at it. And I just took my thumb and I rubbed it over her palm and I realized we belong to each other. She belongs to you. You belong to her. There is a sense in a creation that all human beings, we belong together because we are all from God 
as the passage says. And God is in all and through all. And when we are able to look into our world, even the most broken and heartbreaking places of it, and sense that we are one, that we belong to each other, though it is hard, it creates, a, it creates the world in a more meaningful way. And we will do the work of relationships. We will open the space in the dance because we know this is what we were created for. God, I belong to you, you belong to me. I belong to my community. And I belong to this child who belongs to you. From the very mouth of Christ, I love them as you have loved me.